Hey, everybody, it is Trags Mike Petralia back with another episode of the Jungle Roar Pod. And I am joined by old friend. I haven't had him on since the debut episode. Do you remember this, Dan Horde, of the Jungle Roar Podcast in 2021? I do remember it for this reason. In that podcast, you predicted that the Bengals would go 13 and four. And I scoffed at you. Mm -hmm. And while they did not go 13 and four, they were three wins short of that. They made it to the Super Bowl. So I think uh, your optimism uh, stunned me at the time and proved to be a Nostradamus like prediction. So good for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, and, you know, had a break gone, you know, had the win not taken Evan McPherson's ball against Green Bay. That's one win. Had maybe the ball been placed in Joe Burrow's hand at the end of the San Francisco game in overtime. Maybe that changes. So maybe 12 wins. But anyway, had they tried against Cleveland in the season finale, that probably would have been a win. Correct. If they were actually playing for the number one overall seed, truly playing for that, there's your three wins. That's 13. But anyway, I am not going to go into my uh, my schedule prediction at this point in time. I'll save that for later in the summer when we need some more content. We have plenty on our uh, plate right now in terms of Bengal content, the Bengals in middle in the middle of their off-season practice programs uh, program. And uh, they were back on the field on Monday and Tuesday. Um, we were all there on Tuesday and talked to several of the Bengals. We want to get to the news, and that's Jesse Bates um, not being there. That is really no surprise. He has yet to sign his $12.91 million franchise tag. Uh, he has until July 15th. 15th to do so I guess Dan first question for you is you anticipate him signing that eventually and eventually getting on the field I don't I'm sorry I do anticipate that he will sign the franchise tag and play yes I do right now it doesn't feel to me like he's going to reach a deal for an extension Mm -hmm. although I spoke one-on-one with Chidabe Awuja yesterday and he insisted that he still thinks the Bengals are going to work out an extension with Jesse. He's been in frequent contact with Jesse. So I don't know if he was just being optimistic or if he has some sort of real feeling about that, but those are Chittabay's words, uh, not mine, but yeah, Jesse Bates is going to play this season. The notion that he's going to leave nearly $13 million on the table and sit out the year seems highly unlikely to me. In fact, when the story broke the other day that, you know, maybe Jesse would not play on the franchise tag this year. I went online and tried to find all of the instances of guys that simply did not play. They were so upset about it. Le'Veon Bell is the obvious one, sat out entire season, eventually got paid by the Jets and probably didn't lose too much overall money because of the way that worked out. But that's about it. I mean, is Jesse Bates really going to leave 13, nearly $13 million on the table, money that he will probably never make up. I find that highly, highly, highly unlikely. And I will add to that, Dan Horde. Um, you can follow Dan, by the way, on Twitter at Dan underscore Horde. I didn't get that out of the way uh, at the top of the podcast. I want to make sure I take care of that business. But I'll add to your point, Dan, that with Jesse Bates, He is somebody who understands the chemistry of that locker room. And this is a team that is certainly capable of getting to and 
winning the Super Bowl uh, this year. And I think that factors into the uh, discussion as well, into the formula as well. He is not only not going to leave that money on the table, I think he wants to get back with his teammates who very much love the guy. And, you know, you mentioned you spoke to Chidabe Awuzie on Tuesday. I spoke to Mike Hilton one-on-one, and I asked Mike Hilton, I said, deep down, do you think this is just business and eventually somehow, some way this gets worked out? And he said, that's exactly what this is. This is all business, and fans need to understand that. Yeah, I hope they do. The other thing I would say about Jesse, I do think he loves this team. He loves his teammates. He wants to be part of the attempt to return to the Super Bowl and possibly win it. But let's look at it strictly from a dollars and cents perspective. What would happen if he sat out the year? All right. Number one, he leaves nearly $13 million on the table. Number two, does he enhance his ability to get the kind of contract that he's looking for by sitting out a season? I doubt it. I think his value would go down. Now, maybe it wouldn't go down by very much. Maybe it wouldn't go down at all, uh, but that's a big risk to take. And as we saw in free agency this year, safeties, for whatever reason, did not get paid. Now, I don't think there was a free agent safety on the market this year that compares to Jesse Bates. But I do think there's been a bit of a market correction with the safety position when it comes to how they're getting paid. I think the Seattle deal for Jamal Adams has kind of scared everybody. Mm-hmm. And I know he's a unique case because they gave up a lot of draft picks for him and they felt they had to sign him. And, you know, is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? His position is a little bit murky. But I, I do think that that maybe the top of the safety scale has come back a little bit and it might be difficult for Jesse to get the kind of dollars that that maybe he and his agent have been seeking. I think that's, uh, as always, a great point, Dan. I also believe that um, in this particular case, uh, Jesse Bates knows who the Bengals drafted. All right. And obviously with Dax Hill coming on board, Tyson Anderson, those are the two names that stick out the most. Um, the Bengals spending, you know, five of their six draft picks on defense, but uh, certainly three, uh, three of their top five picks uh, or three of the top four, three of their top five picks on cornerbacks or on uh, defensive backs. And I think, you know, the message that's out there, look, we want you back, Jesse, but we are not going to mortgage the future just to bring you back for one or two or three years. Uh, we've got to do what's in the best interest of the team. And uh, if David Mulligetta and you can't come to the bargaining table or something falls apart with David Mulligetta, the Bengals have to have an option B. And I think they have an option B and I think they have an option C. And that to me is really what puts the Bengals in such a strong position here. Yeah, I don't think those draft picks rule out the possibility of a Jesse Bates extension by July 15th. Von Bell is also going to be a free agent at the end of the year, so they could have two openings conceivably. Um, And they did build up the depth in the secondary with the three guys that they drafted. But I think if they could keep one and still work those young guys into the rotation, that would probably be the ideal situation. So it'll be interesting to see maybe something thaws between now and July 15th. As I said, if I had to bet on it, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out. All right. Uh, What about the fact that the Bengals also are going to have to get a deal done or almost certainly going to have to get a deal done with Joe Burrow after the last snap of the 2022 season? We're assuming 
that uh, the Bengals are going to approach Joe Burrow and, you know, dole out the Patrick Mahomes-like deal that the Chiefs gave uh, their franchise quarterback. The Bengals likely have to are going to want to do the same, I would think. And then you have T. Higgins uh, on the horizon. It's a lot of money. Those three players, if the Bengals want to sign Jesse Bates and also keep uh, Joe Burrow and uh, T. Higgins. No question. I'm glad you raised Patrick Mahomes as the comparison for Joe Burrow, because I think that's really the model to look at. Because when Patrick Mahomes signed his deal, he signed it for 10 years. And that's the kind of deal that theoretically would allow a team to continue to hold on to the nucleus of good players. The bonus is spread out enough over a long period of time that at least theoretically, it gives you some cap space to be able to try to keep a strong nucleus around the great quarterback. Now in the chiefs case, they wound up spending a ton of money on their offensive line. Then they couldn't keep Tyree kill. So it is hard to keep everybody, but if the Bengals and Joe Burrow work out an extension that, uh, well, It's obviously going to make him one of the highest paid players in sports, but also team friendly in the sense that it's structured in such a way that they can keep a good nucleus around him. That to me seems like the type of thing that Joe would be interested in doing and that the Bengals will certainly try to do. Brought this up last week with Mo Egger and on this podcast, and that is the fact that the Bengals have a reputation, a good one, I believe, uh, and a solid one of signing their own and making, you know, their very best offer or very best effort, I should say, to keep their own players under contract. I think certainly bodes well for Joe Burrow, but I, Joe Burrow is an outlier because he's an, such an exceptional franchise player. I think Joe Burrow, by the way, this is an uh, aside, quick aside. I think he has the potential of being the most significant athlete in Cincinnati sports history. But um, that aside, I think, you know, the Bengals looking at a guy like T. Higgins T. Higgins has produced and he's performed, and I think the Bengals are more inclined to pay a receiver like T. Higgins that they know that they are comfortable with than they are to try and go out and get somebody to replace him. Well, look at the Joe Burrow factor in all of this. Joe Burrow is going to want to keep T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, right? I mean, there is no doubt that that is going to be a significant priority for number nine. So Joe Burrow is going to have that in mind when the Bengals talk to him about his extension. And if anything uh, makes it likely that the Bengals will hold on to those guys, it's the Joe Burrow influence, in my opinion. I mean, obviously, T. Higgins has proven to be a great receiver. He's going to uh, be worthy of a, a huge contract, and the Bengals are allowed to negotiate with him at the end of this season. So Based on the way the wide receiver market has gone this offseason, you look at it and you think, man, it's going to be hard to keep both of those guys. But Joe Burrow is going to want to want that to happen. And that seems to me like the best case scenario for it happening. Joe structuring his contract in such a way that it gives the Bengals at least the ability uh, to hold on to, to two of the best wide receivers in the game at the same time. Well, there was a certain quarterback in New England that uh, made a habit of trying or of making sacrifices in his own long-term uh, fortune with the Patriots. And that would of course be Tom Brady to try and give the Patriots as much leeway as possible to assign their own players and make it so that uh, Patriots could stay with under, uh, under the uh, salary cap and have a competitive salary cap uh, situation. There are those who say the Patriots took um, overt advantage of that. Uh, they took extra advantage of that. 
I do think in, in this particular case, like you said, if Joe Burrow really wants those players, the Bengals could be in a position where they're like, well, look, Joe, we'd, we'd love to keep him too, obviously, but we're going to need some, um, I don't want to say discount from you, but we're going to need some type of cooperation uh, from him and his, and his agent to get that done. I think the difference between Tom Brady and just about everybody else is that Tom Brady regularly took significantly less than he had coming to him. And Giselle was probably a factor there. You're married to the the wealthiest supermodel in the world. How much money do you need between the two? Uh, So Tom Brady could very easily take significantly less. I don't know if that will happen with Joe Burrow. I think it's more of a structural thing, as I said, with Mahomes. Uh, Can you spread it out? Can you find a way for the cap hit to be lessened by the way that you structure the deal? I don't expect Joe Burrow to give the Bengals some sort of a hometown or home state discount. I don't think he's going to say, yeah, you know what? I'll play for 30 mil when these other guys are making 40 to 50. Uh, I think he's going to get paid in that range. But I do think that there are creative ways and the Bengals are great at this creative ways of structuring these contracts to try to remain uh, cap smart to try to, to put yourself in a position where you don't have to rip apart the roster because one guy is making a quarter of the overall team uh, salary cap. I don't think Katie and Troy Blackburn get enough credit for that. I think, you know, over the years, uh, it is something that I think a lot of Bengal fans have always thrown this out and it always bothered me from afar when I was in New England that the Bengals are cheap. Well, no, they're not cheap per se. They they run a smaller operation, clearly a smaller operation. Nobody would argue that. They just believe smaller leads to better efficiency. Um, but they have always signed their own players and, and done the best. But more than signing their own players, they understand the cap expert at an expert level. I agree 100%. I think they're great at that. And I agree with you. I, I think when people uh, look at the Bengals over the years and and, and Describe them as cheap when it comes to player salaries. I think that's ridiculous. Sure, they've lost a few. Uh, every franchise is going right. to lose a few. You can't find a single example of a team that has kept everybody that it wants to keep. But I would guess that the Bengals would be among the teams with the highest percentage of retaining the players that they have wanted to keep over the years. There have been very few that they really wanted to keep uh, that they weren't able to hold on to. All right, let's get to uh, more of the stuff on the field, the stuff that I think a lot of fans really care about. Joe Bray, <laughs> Joe Brace, Joe Burrow, no knee brace on Tuesday. We both observed this, Dan. And I thought it was a big moment because I thought maybe he'd be out there with some type of protective, maybe even on his right knee that he, you know, obviously injured toward the end of the Kansas City regular season game and obviously got wrenched. Uh, in the Super Bowl, but no, nothing on either knee. That was a great sight, I thought. Yeah, that was the first thing that caught my eye. And when I saw Joe out there with no brace on either knee, I turned to one of the the film crew guys that attends every practice and you know never misses a thing. And and I asked him the question, "Hey, did Joe Burrow ever practice last year without a knee brace? Because we're obviously not there every day." Um, and uh, he thought about it for a second and said, I don't think so. So it was a great sight. I found it really interesting when we asked Joe about it at the news conference after practice, do you plan to play without a knee brace? And he said, probably. I mean, he didn't 
definitively say so. He said that's kind of a TBA. We'll see when the season comes around. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that, actually. I, I think the fact that Tom Brady has continued to wear a brace on his left knee all these years, it's been more than a decade since he tore his ACL and his MCL. Uh, you know, that's one Brady thing I would copy if I were him. Uh, just have something over the the front knee that's locked when you throw the football just in case. But that's me. I mean, if doctors and trainers tell him, you know what, it's fine. It's it's no greater risk to go without the brace than it is to wear one. Then then it's up to Joe, I guess. I also thought it was refreshing staying on the Burrow topic that he doesn't want to be compared to Tom Brady. He doesn't want to be compared necessarily to all the great quarterbacks that are out there. And I wrote about this uh, in my column for CLNS Media on Tuesday that he wants to lead in his own way. And I think that is a great way to go about it. Be your own person. Let, you know, what he said last year when I asked him about the Phil Sims comparison to Joe Montana, and he said, let me be me. He continued that theme on Tuesday. His leadership is so effortless, isn't it? I mean, Mm. nothing ever seems contrived. It doesn't seem like he has this thought process. All right, what do I need to go out and say? How do I do this? What's there? No, it, it all comes naturally to him. He's the most effortlessly cool person on the planet. And, and he's the perfect quarterback for this franchise. If you look at the best quarterbacks in the NFL and ask football fans around the country, if you could pick one guy, who would that guy be? And I'm guessing that a bunch would say Mahomes, a bunch would say Josh Allen, a bunch might say Justin Herbert, maybe a few would say Joe Burrow. But for this franchise in this market, you'd have to take Burrow over anybody. He's the perfect quarterback for Cincinnati, Ohio. He fits the sensibility of the people. He's got the pride in the state of Ohio and and by extension, the city of Cincinnati. He's just the perfect person for this franchise, in addition to being a hell of a player. And uh, let's face it, they were really fortunate to be lousy when they were lousy because he was available with the number one pick in the draft. And, you know, you never know who that guy is going to be when, if, and when you have the turn to choose first. I mean, look at this year, if, you know, the teams at the top of the draft had been desperate for a quarterback, there was nobody to take. Whereas uh, when it was the Bengals turn, they could have had Burrow or Herbert. They wouldn't have gone wrong in either case. Important to, um, remind fans that we are at the part of practice uh, for NFL teams where they're just in their shirts and their shorts and that's it. No pads until uh, the start of training camp late in summer. And even then it's only really a week into training camp before we see uh, full pads. That being said, what did you think of the new look offensive line that we got a peek at? Um, I know Dave Lapham, Lapham was uh, focused intently, shall we say, Dan, on that group on Tuesday. What did you think? Well, watching what they did, it's hard to form any real strong opinions. Just like you said, they're running around. They're not really, there's no offense versus defense while we're watching. But a few things do stand out. Number one, Lael Collins is a gigantic man. <laughs> I mean, he's got true Andrew Whitworth-like size at right tackle instead of, uh, you know, Whit back in the day playing left tackle. And then when you talk to those guys in the locker room, I spoke to Karis and Collins yesterday, didn't get a chance to talk to Kappa yesterday, but they are extremely intelligent guys. You can tell they love football. I I think the chemistry and bond between them was immediate. Uh, It's easy to see why Frank Pollock loves those guys. 
So that's where it begins, right? I mean, if you get offensive linemen that appreciate the drudgery of the job, doing those repetitive drills day after day after day, you know, Dave Lapham tells a great story about the 81 Bengals. Uh, the first time they went to the Super Bowl with Jim McNally as the offensive line coach, yep. they lined up for the Super Bowl during pregame warmups and did the exact same drills they did on day one of training camp. And that's what it's got to be like as offensive linemen. You have to embrace the mundane, as Frank Pollock says, and love that drudgery and trying to get better day after day after day. And I think the three three additions to the offensive line are those kind of guys. You asked Zach Taylor, uh, Dan, on uh, Tuesday, what you know, what, what were his impressions? Um, what was the point behind your question there to Zach? Yeah, I was just interested more or less in the same question you asked me. What stood out about those offensive linemen uh, based on two days of practice? Yesterday was the first day we could watch, but it was the second day that they've been practicing. And that more or less was Zach's answer, that these are three guys that love ball. It's something that they've emphasized in building this roster over the last couple of years. I think it's a big reason why they were a Super Bowl team a year ago. And uh, they're not going to stray from what's working now. I mean, they've identified that as a big reason why they've been able to assemble a Super Bowl roster in less than two years after starting 0-11. So all three of those guys fit that description. They were able to get all three at a reasonable price, which was tremendous. It's reminiscent of what they did on the in the secondary last year by getting Awujier and Hilton, both at a reasonable price. Yep. So they got three offensive linemen at a reasonable price, and I thought that was a huge coup this offseason. Final Bengal question on practice. I'm going to bring up three names, Joseph Asai, Wyatt Hubert, and Tariquius Tisdale. I hope I got his first name right. Is you that- didn't. <laughs> I did not. Tyrekus. Oh, Tyrekus. Okay. Tyrekus. Thank you for it. That's why I brought it, it up. Tyrekus <laughs> Tisdale out of Ole Miss. Yeah. I think those are three fascinating names that Bengal fans, or certainly Osai, um, should keep an eye on this year in terms of possibly contributing to the defense. What say you? Yeah, well, I think uh, Bengals fans that follow this team closely, if they uh, had the opportunity to attend practice yesterday, the first thing they wanted would have wanted to see was Burrow. And the second thing they would have wanted to see was Joseph Osai. We got a glimpse of him in one preseason game last year, and he was more or less the star of the game against Tampa Bay. He sat sacked Brady uh, on the Buccaneers opening series. He applied consistent pressure while he was in the game. I interviewed him after the game, having no idea that uh, he had suffered an injury that would cost him the rest of his rookie year. And he was awesome. So we got a glimpse of what he's capable of being. And let's hope that he's healthy and can be that guy this year. He looked good running around yesterday, but we'll know much more when training camp arrives in uh, late July. Hubert's interesting because I don't think anybody has thought of him. So he's the opposite of Joseph Osai. He was their seventh round draft pick last year, another pass rusher, but he tore his pack before training camp and we never saw him do a thing. He was walking around in, uh, you know, Bengals t-shirt and shorts observing the drills, but he never took part in anything. So it was interesting to see him yesterday take part in the defensive line drills. He is a big, powerful looking dude. Um, and unlike Joseph Osai, who's still at the stage where he's working on the rehab field with Nick Cosgray, Hubert looked like he was 100% good to go. So that was good to see. And as for Tyrekus Tisdale, the Bengals have uh, two defensive linemen that they drafted. And Tyrekus Tisdale, if you didn't know who they were 
based on their uniform number and looking mm-hmm. at the roster, you would just look at him physically and think that he was the highest drafted guy because mm-hmm. he's six, five, he's two eighty, He ran a four, six at his pro day. So this dude is an athletic freak. Now he didn't have great production at Ole Miss. He was injured for much of the last two years, only played 11 games total over the last two years, but just based on traits and body type, he looks like a guy who's got a chance to be a real contributor. So it'll be interesting to see what he looks like when they start playing preseason games. What's your plans for the offseason? My wife refers to me as offseason Dan right yep. now because I can actually contribute around the house, probably not as much as I should, uh, but it's good. I, I have uh, kind of a normal existence for the next few months until training camp begins. And back in the days when I was a minor league baseball announcer, and you're in that grind, you forget what happens for real people in the summer where there are graduation parties and weekend barbecues and the 4th of July and uh, going out and playing golf with your buddies, all those kinds of things. So uh, it's a fun time of the year for me. And it's one of the the best things about being a football guy as opposed to a baseball guy. You really do get to enjoy summer. It has been a pleasure catching up with you, Dan. Um, We have to do this more often. Um, Looking forward to a fun summer. Uh, Once the final OTA, I see I have a schedule here, June 14th. Once June 15th rolls around, I am going to be summer Mike, summer tracks. (laughs) And that means lots and lots of yard work. I love yard work as a way to meditate, relax, and kind of reset myself. Some people go on a golf course. Some people, you know, as we both know, back in New England, go out in the ocean, go to Nantucket, go to Martha's Vineyard. I like to spend time on my lawn. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Well, if you want to add another yard, you're more than entitled to come over and work on mine. I'm more of a golf guy than a yard work guy, but uh, I'll do what needs to be done. And it saves me money. That's the way I look at it, too. Puts money back in my pocket. But anyway, it's been great, Dano. Having you on the Jungle Roar podcast again, we'll have to do it again soon. Follow Dan on Twitter at Dan underscore Horde and uh, obviously follow his great work uh, covering as the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals. And obviously I didn't get I did not ask you and I'll ask you right now before we hit the kill button what you thought of the Cincinnati Bearcats in the NFL draft. Man, it was tremendous. Um you know, you get to know those guys pretty well as the voice of a college team. The, the relationship between broadcaster and college athlete is a different from the relationship between broadcaster and NFL athlete because they look at you as more of kind of a, I don't know, father figure, grandfather figure. It's just different. Uncle. You know, kids. Uncle maybe is appropriate. Um, they're 17 or 18 year old, years old when they arrive. Right. Uh, I'm in my 50s. But uh, you got to know him really well over the course of four or five years or nowadays six years. And so I, I did really feel attached to those guys uh, during the, the three days of the draft. And to see that many Bearcats selected, Cincinnati was third in the country and most players picked. Georgia was number one with 15. LSU was second with 10, even though they haven't been very good in recent years. UC was third in the country with Ahead nine players Alabama. drafted. Alabama. Who would have That's ever insane. Ohio State, for that matter? USC, Texas. I mean, pick whatever traditional powerhouse you want. Cincinnati was ahead of all of those other teams, except for Georgia and LSU. That's amazing. 
It is. Well, I'm glad I got that in there because it was fun to watch your reaction during the draft of those three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at the end of April. It really was. It was great having you on the Jungle Roar pod. Until next time, thanks for watching, everybody.